Who you gonna call? Public health. When there's something strange making you sick. Who you gonna call? Public health? When the hurricane is blowing down your hood. Who you gonna call? Public health. Oh, yeah. Welcome to Viral. My name is Quinn. I am a public health worker. My name is Lindsay, and I am also a public health worker. And this show is a show where we talk about the history, the science, the current practice of public health, which is the field that works behind the scenes using science and um, evidence to keep us all safe and healthy. And there's like, you know, the occasional like wacky, weird thing that we do that no one really knows that we do. Yeah, yeah. And uh, lots of strange plagues um that we look into like the dancing plague yes like the dancing plague yeah. or um learning more about the no nose club the nose no the no nose it club so um what are we talking about today we're going to talk about emergency preparedness and response all right and why is this important well because well first of all you and i live in a hurricane prone state but, yes, you know, we <laughs> as we found out last month, um, but it's also really important because there's all types of natural and man-made disasters that happen. So we need to have a organized and immediate response as well as any type of preparation that's possible to help deal with and manage those emergencies. Very well said, Lindsay. Thank you. So... Like Lindsay said, on this episode, we're going to talk about the role of public health in emergency preparedness and disaster response. Unlike a lot of the fields we've discussed in previous episodes, it's actually a relatively new subdiscipline of public health, if you can believe that. Disasters aren't new. I mean, think about Pompeii. Yeah. But the realization that Planning for the medical needs of people recovering from disasters apparently is a new thing to us. Mm-hmm. According to the Federal Emergency Management Agency, also known as FEMA, this thing called Emergency Support Function 8 provides the mechanism for coordinated federal assistance to supplement state, tribal, and local resources in response to a public health or medical disaster potential or actual incidents requiring a coordinated federal response, and or developing a, uh, a developing health or medical emergency. Public health and medical services include things like responding to the, mental, the medical needs associated with mental health, behavioral health, and substance abuse considerations of incident victims, as well as response workers. So, this part of our nation's government has the following core functions. Assess public health and medical needs before an event. Do surveillance before, during, and after an event. Make sure we have adequate staffing of medical care personnel. Make sure we have enough health, medical, and veterinary equipment and supplies. Evacuate patients who are unable to evacuate themselves care for patients, safety and security of drugs and medical devices, blood and blood products, and food safety and security. 
It's a lot of different That's a lot of stuff. important things. But stuff that a lot of us in the public health field already have a lot of knowledge in, so it makes sense that public health would be a part of that. Yeah. But let's back up a little bit. How did this come about? In the early morning hours of December 26, 1802, a fire broke out in the New Hampshire Bank Building in Portsmouth. A large portion of the town burned, with 114 buildings lost to the flames and damages estimated at $200,000, which is a lot of money in 1802. That's a lot, even to me right now. In 1803, the town rebuilt the bank where the fire started, and the building which was rebuilt still stands today as one of the nation's oldest bank buildings. Anyways, when this happened, down in Washington, D.C., funds were appropriated for the first time, and donations were sent from many parts of the country after this this, uh, disaster. Five people were appointed to a committee to receive and distribute the donations for relief to victims who lost their homes and belongings. The federal government first actively engaged in emergency management due to this disaster in 1802 by passing the Congressional Relief Act of 1803, which provided a lot of help for these people after this fire. Well, 150 years passed before we really did anything different than something bad happened and let's give them some money. That was pretty much the plan. It was very reactive. So it, it was basically, you know, hey, there's a fire, let's raise some money. And not, how about we plan for the next time a fire or an earthquake or a plague happens so we aren't scrambling? Imagine that, uh, <laughs> being reactive rather than being proactive. Yeah. Anyways, the Defense Production Act of 1950 was the first comprehensive legislation pertaining to federal disaster relief. It gave the president the authority to issue disaster declarations to provide immediate assistance to state and local governments. Lindsay, do you know which president established FEMA? It was George W. Bush. Nope. No? Nope. FEMA had already existed at that point. Oh. It was actually President Jimmy Carter. Of course. He did this with an executive order in 1979 to formally merge the many disparate disaster-related responsibilities into one agency for coordination and assistance. I love Jimmy Carter. I know. There are so many executive orders and plans in response to emergencies, it it really could send your head spinning. The BP oil spill, the 9-11 terrorist attacks, the anthrax attacks, the Superstorm Sandy, Hurricane Katrina, the list goes on. But all of these were responded to by FEMA, whereas mm-hmm. before it was a, quarter, a bunch of different agencies would all have a different piece of this pie. So basically, what you need to know is that we have this thing called the Incident Command System, which is another militaristic, government-y sounding thing that essentially organizes and groups specific functions into a hierarchy of order that can be activated instantly if needed. Are you ready to hear about the essential um, services? Sure, this will be a recap for me, but yes. All right. ESF-1 deals with transportation. ESF-2 deals with communications. 
ESF3, Public Works and Engineering, ESF4, Firefighting, ESF5, Emergency Management, think logistics. I know emergency management as an emergency function yeah. sounds a little uh... redundant. ESF6, Housing, ESF7, Resource Support, again, logistics, but somehow this one's different than the other one. Uh... ESF8, there's our good friend, Public Health and Medical Services. ESF9, Search and Rescue, and ESF10, Oil and Hazardous Materials, ooh. 11, Energy, 12, Public Safety, 13, Community Recovery, and 14, External Affairs. I already thought of 15. Yeah? Therapy Animals. Therapy Animals, there it is. Come on, guys. Perfect. I'm going to call my legislator. You should. Hey, Quinn here, just jumping in because I made a whoopsie. Um, there are already actually 15 emergency support functions, and I accidentally skipped over ESF 11, which is agriculture and natural resources. So um, the animals will have to be 16. All right, back to the show. So... If you think about it, this organizational structure makes sense, except for all of the different logistic yeah, ones. That's... But it wasn't formally adopted until the 2000s, though, after 9-11 and Hurricane Katrina made it evident that FEMA and the way we think about emergencies needed to be thought about and redone. Yeah, because it's kind of hard to respond to a local event with by having federal oversight when you really need to be working with local entities because they understand that area better mm -hmm. than somebody that's sitting up in D.C. So disasters, both man-made and natural, can occur without warning. But that doesn't mean we can't prepare in order to reduce the chance of major loss of life and population-wide sickness. Every time one of these things happens, we collect data that can help us better prepare for the next one. Or at least that's the plan. When a disaster happens, public health officials do what's called a CASPER. Are you familiar with the CASPER? I've heard of CASPER, but I, I can't remember what the acronym stands for. So, yes, it is Halloween time, but I'm not talking about the friendly ghost. CASPER stands for Community Assessment for Public Health Emergency Response. And basically, it's a toolkit to assist personnel from any local, state, or regional, or federal public health departments in conducting a rapid community needs assessment after an emergency. Sometimes they do these as an exercise to practice for the real deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. That is really cool. After something happens, you need to know how bad things are. And yeah. And you need a systematic way to do it. Yep. And really the best way to prepare is by learning from your mistakes from a previous event. We have a lot of mistakes. Okay. Locally, also, many health departments have these things called pods, or points of dispensing. Pods are locations throughout a county or geographical area which could be used to distribute medications in the event of a health emergency. Say, there's a terrorist attack, which makes everyone start farting uncontrollably. Oh, man. Some kind of aerosolized fart attack, basically. Oh, man. I, I would be a goner. That, 
We would basically tell everyone to go to specific locations, usually a school or a stadium or somewhere with lots of parking that's easy to find. Well ventilated in this case. Well ventilated, hopefully lots of fans. Line up in an organized fashion, get their fart antidote, and go on with their lives. Health departments routinely practice this in case of the real emergency. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. We would not want this fart attack situation. No. To, I mean, to there are people that are gassier than others. I don't know who those people are. Hypothetically speaking. Hypothetically speaking. But I'm just saying that would be terrible. That would be pretty bad. So those are just a few of the ways that public health works um, to prepare and respond to disaster situations. If you are interested in this field, FEMA has trainings on their website. Um, they're free to do, and you can also um, volunteer to, to be um, someone who is activated in, in this type of emergency situation. So um, if that interests you, uh, do some Googling and yeah. get involved. Yeah, and there's even um, some graduate certificate programs that you can get that are emergency uh, preparedness and response related, humanitarian assistance related. So uh, I think those are great just because you're going to get a lot more in-depth and you can maybe even specialize in something, um, whether it's global or domestic. So, but I think that everybody should have to go through some sort of emergency preparedness training because it affects everyone, whether or not you work in public health. Mm -hmm. That's right. So, what was it like <laughs> going through an emergency, like, for instance, Hurricane Irma? Well, um, for me, uh, even after, you know, having training through the health department and knowing you know, how the chain of command worked and basically how information was being disseminated, where I needed to go to get information, it was still really nerve-wracking. Uh, even after talking with, you know, some other people that I know that obviously live in the same area, um, one person said it felt like we were preparing for war because, oh, yeah. you know, you're trying to prepare yourself as much as possible without really knowing exactly what's going to happen, what the severity is going to be, and how it's going to actually impact you. So, you know, I, I was very freaked out. Um, I tried to, you know, manage my anxiety by doing as much prep as possible, but really there's only so much you can do. And, you know, the reality is there's just so much uncertainty. And um, I think one of the things that really freaked me out was going out and not being able to get gas or going. Oh, yeah. That was really, I've People never. People freaked out. Yeah. And, and the gas was gone. It was gone. Like... The shelves were empty. Yeah. You go to Publix or any grocery store, there was just nothing there. It was eerie. It was so eerie. People were tense all the time and mm -hmm. driving weird and... Yeah. Um, I don't know how many people know this. I mean, surely if, you, if you're listening and you work in public health, you probably know this. But uh, if you work for a local health department or a state health department... Um, chances are you had to sign a form saying you would volunteer, well, you would, you would have to work in the event of an emergency. And um, here locally, we staff and manage and operate the um, special needs shelters. 
So not the regular shelters where people would go to, but if you have special medical needs, you're oxygen dependent or you need uh, round the clock nursing care and you don't have anyone who could get you out of the, the mm -hmm. state, um, this is really your like last resort. And I know that this was the first time that we had been activated in, in a decade. So mm -hmm. it, was a, it was a learning opportunity. But um, a lot more people came to the shelters than were expected to come to the shelters. Oh, wow. And um, a lot of the people who came were also, they had more complicated health issues. So that's one thing that we have to be prepared for next time. Um, but there's a great deal of training that's involved and people sleeping on cots for having to do that for days and days and days. Um, so if you worked for that for that storm, bless you because oh my gosh, seriously, we oof, it was tough. Well, and it was a tough time. Yeah, and I think you know here in particular, you know, in Florida, we have a very you know we have a lot of we have a population that has a lot of medical needs, mm -hmm. um, whether it's the elderly or just people that you know. Are living with a disability so um, there is a lot of there are a lot of people with high acuity that end up you know going to a special needs shelter and I think that there's a lot of confusion right because you hear special needs and it's like okay well you know what what does that actually mean where you know and some shelters were like not taking people and so there's like that sense of panic um, you know, and I think the other thing that I thought was really interesting was, not interesting, but I think was a, a, a really good learning um, opportunity was that, you know, when people hear evacuation, they heard get out of the state. But in reality, evacuation can also mean get to higher ground. Yeah. And it doesn't... Just get a few miles within, away. Exactly, within 10 miles. And so you had this mass exodus out of the state of Florida. Yep. And... I mean, y'all know, there's really only one way to get out mm -hmm. of the state of Florida. So we had massive traffic issues. And what's scary is that because there's no gas, that impacts your ability to even get out of the state. So then you end up being stranded in your car when there's a hurricane coming. So it's just like, it's a mess. Bad. It's a mess. So we ended up staying, um, my husband and I, and we had a friend with us who lives on a boat. So... <laughs> Luckily, his boat was completely fine, um, and obviously, like, the storm ended up not being as bad in St. Pete. I mean, I feel for the people that live in the Keys, in the Caribbean, that really got the brunt of that. Yep. Um, in Naples, that area, I mean, it's really bad. Um, well, and now we're seeing what's happening in, in Puerto Rico. Oh, my where God. most yeah. of the island still doesn't have power, and... Just living in Florida, we were out of power for one week, and that was the most miserable week of my life. Oh, my gosh. It for was real. horrible. Yeah. I mean, just just the stress of not having power. Um, you know, we have a, uh, an alarm system, and, of course, if you don't have power, your alarm system doesn't work. So I'm right. worried about the safety and security of my home because, also, when there's no power, the streetlights are all out. So it's pitch black. It's hot, it's muggy, all of your food is spoiled, and, people, and you people cannot get comfortable. Yeah, yeah. And you can't sleep. When you can't get comfortable and you can't sleep for a week, it starts to mess with you. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I ended up getting sick. I don't know if it was from just a combination of stress. I think I got some sort of food poisoning, 
because and I threw we threw out all of our food, but then when you throw out all your food and some of the restaurants around start opening up again, yeah. I didn't think, okay, why are they open so soon? Should they have maybe stayed closed a little bit longer? Right. Uh, and checked all the stuff that they had. They probably opened too quickly. Well, I ended up getting getting a little sick from that. But oh, I took no. the most amount of precautions I could in terms of the, the food situation. But I also didn't want to eat, like, protein bars for a week. Yeah. Went out to was... McDonald's and got coffee and probably got sick from that. I mean, yeah. who knows? No, I, you know, and I think that's another thing too, is that people, people think about when the storm hits, but there's not a lot of consideration that goes into like what happens after. People are still dealing with Harvey. Yeah, exactly. That's going to last a long time. Oh my gosh. Yeah, no, um, I actually teach a course at Sam Houston State and that's about, oh, about 70 miles outside of Houston. And so I had students that were, you know, that they had flooding and stuff and so, Um, so that was interesting. So I'm trying to be accommodating as a professor, you know, um, while that's going on. RVA my homework. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then a week later, then it, then Irma hits me. And so I'm, I'm hoping that my students can be accommodating for me because, you know, I didn't have access to the internet, you know, and it's an online course. So it, it was just a mess. It was a mess. And I felt like it took me two and a half weeks to get my brain right again. Mm-hmm. It, it was so bad. It yeah. so bad. And just the stress of it mm-hmm. was so much. And it makes me think about all the, the people oh my who gosh. can't afford, you know, either um, proper housing that is good ventilation, good mm-hmm. air conditioning, especially in, like, South Florida. Oof. That's that's a lot. It's yeah. so, um, yay! Climate change oh and God. hurricanes. And by the way, I think Ireland is getting they are hit by a hurricane. I which saw is crazy. I know. I saw a picture of a barge getting hit by a thirty foot wave from that hurricane. It was insane. And you're just like, wait, what? Yeah. A hurricane in Ireland? It's weird. It's super weird. Yeah. But I think that I'm actually really thankful that I had to go through training um, while working Mm -hmm. at the health department. And it's funny now in my organizational behavior class that I'm taking, um, emergency preparedness has come up a lot when we talk about public health leadership. Mm. And um, so that's been really interesting because a lot of the people in my A lot of times in in those times of stress, the leaders emerge and those who should not be leaders become very evident. Yeah. As no. Well. No, you're absolutely right. And I've heard I've heard quite a few stories about people who should not be in leadership positions based on their behavior during a thing. Well, and you know it's there was actually a really interesting um, article that I actually had to read read for that class and it was, you know, you have you know, the traditional public health system that's very like, okay, well, let's do some research. Let's find things out. And then you have, you know, the the EOC that's very, like you said, militaristic. So you have these two very different organizational structures that then have to work together in a high stress, oh yeah, you know, immediate response sort of situation. And so there's a lot of there has to be a lot of collaboration, but you know, you really have to understand um, everybody's leadership style 
and how you can complement each other and how you can avoid conflict. So, you know, one thing that I noticed was not necessarily a lack of information, but too much information. Mm-hmm. Um, I I subscribe to city announcements. I subscribe to county announcements. I subscribe to state announcements. And of course, each one of them, they put their own blasts out there. But then you get the ones from uh, neighborhood associations, next door, oh my God, Facebook, next door. like Twitter. Like they were all blowing up. And I would get f- like 15, 20 emails all saying essentially the same type of thing. Which is good. But I didn't want to unsubscribe message. from any yeah. of them because yeah. I didn't want to like risk not getting information, but it was also, like, too much. Social Um, media was was overwhelming. It was information overload a little bit. So maybe I need to pare down. Um, But it was actually, I'm talking more specifically about, like, the official Mm -hmm. announcements from city and county groups. Because they were, like, putting out stuff so frequently that it was overwhelming to take in. Yeah. All at once. Which is like, great job, guys. But yeah. you're right. Like, it. Like, maybe there needs to be a better coordinated way yeah. of, of blasting yeah. stuff out. Um, in happier discussions, what are you currently reading or enjoying right now? Well, um, I'm actually reading American Gods right now. Ooh. By Neil Gaiman. Yeah. It's very, very good. Um, I needed to read some fantasy <laughs> slash like gritty mm-hmm. mythology, and actually, I read his uh, Norse mythology book before I read, oh, which good. was good. I would highly recommend. I to haven't read. read that one yet, but I do have it. It's so good, and I would highly recommend if you want to read American Gods, read his uh, Norse mythology, which complex. came out after it came out right. this year, which is funny. Seventeen, yeah. Because it plays so much into American Gods, and it's actually a really quick read. It's not. It's not okay. terribly long. So, um, yeah. So I've been trying to escape a little bit, um, and I just want to say, uh, I'm so sorry that we've been kind of MIA lately. Again, uh, it's taken my brain a while to work again, and also. When you have a hurricane, stuff gets put on hold, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh my god. All of the things. All the things need to be done right now. Yep. And you had a marathon of matrimony to attend. Oh my gosh, so many weddings. So many weddings. So then we finally were like, okay, this is it. We have to sit down. We're going to do this. Let's record an episode. Yes. Um, What about you? For me, I am currently reading uh, Grant by Ron Chernow, and it is his newest biography of Ulysses S. Grant. Um, Ron Chernow wrote the biography of Alexander Hamilton that was later turned into uh, a musical of note. Uh, I don't think there will be a Grant-based musical. No? Probably not. You don't Um, think so? But, oh my God, I love Grant. I love him. Why? Can I I ask why? I have a big history crush on Ulysses S. Grant. He oh was my. a he was a complicated figure. He had he battled some demons, alcoholism, etc. Mm-hmm. But he was through and through like a very earnest and well like well adjusted. Like not what not so much well adjusted, but like a very a very good man. Mm-hmm. He was a great and good man. And, and you know what's funny is like I don't know a lot about Ulysses, Ulysses S. Grant. 
I yeah. really don't. No, I don't. And now I'm like, well, crap, I gotta get, get brushed I'll up give on you the that primer. Okay. It's very good. It's very well written. Um, I'm also watching the new Netflix show Mind Hunt. Mind oh, Hunter. Oh my goodness! I've been wanting to watch that. It looks so good. It is good. It is way more dialogue based than okay. than I was expecting. Um, it's pretty much a hundred percent dialogue based. Really? Yeah, but it deals with the FBI's first real coordinated effort to start understanding the minds Mm -hmm. of people who could commit heinous, terrible murders. Mm -hmm. They they specifically go through and they interview serial killers, and it's, of course, a fictionalized account of this based on a book about this group at the Behavioral Science Division of the FBI. I was just going to say, yeah, doing behavioral profiling and stuff. Doing profiling. Um, but for a while, the criminology at the time was very much based on the um, um, nature, not nurture idea. Interesting. Of you can be born a killer, but and, not, and not your environment can shape you into really? a killer as well. Um, and so it took them a little bit of time to really kind of understand more of the psychology. They worked with sociologists who were really way ahead of, oh, yeah, of the criminology like at wow. the time wow. and to, to create these profiles in order to try and catch killers before they would commit another murder. It's so interesting, too, because you would think that, you know, criminology and psychology would just go hand in hand, but... No, it was like... Oh, those ac- academic folks, they're just off in their universities, oh, they're talking their blah, blah, blah. Like, they, they're not oh, real. It's, oh, well, well, I'm glad that But that it's a good show. Yeah, no, it sounds really good. I've just been catching up on Broad City Season 4. Oh, okay. It's been real good. Um, laughing, laughing my little patoot off, you know. Need some humor in my life right now. Yeah. So... So yeah, no. Um, I've been wanting to watch Mindhunters, so I got a little bit of a glimpse. Somebody was watching it at at uh, somebody's house, and I was like, "Oh, that looks really good." Mm-hmm. So, um, with that, uh, we recommend you guys to listen to the podcast, listen to our previous episodes. If this is your first one. Um, Rate us, review us on iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it. Please. It helps helps us know what we're doing is useful and interesting. Subscribe. And subscribe. You can find us at www.viral-pod.com. Ooh, did you, like, forget for a second? Or were you Maybe like, I don't want to say pod. I don't want to say pod. Uh, we're also on Twitter at viral podcast mm-hmm. i believe i think it's the viral podcast the viral podcast i probably should check these things before i say them it's cool it's cool <laughs> oh boy we also have it's a been facebook one of those page. months yes it sure has and uh we also have a facebook page we try to you know post really interesting con- um, content about you know public health and such so check it out yeah. Um, yeah, and if you want to even rate us on Facebook, that's cool, too. Do We've it. We've got a couple of reviews. Really appreciate it. Contact us if you would like to submit a public health fact. Please. We would love some listener 
public health facts. We also have t-shirts for sale, guys. I yeah. keep forgetting to mention that, but we do have t-shirts for sale on the website if you're interested. Um, they're pretty cool. They are really cool. And, and they're, they're soft. They're super soft. Super soft. Yeah, so soft. Whoa. Ooh. They, oh. are, they are that soft, though. For real. Uh, so thanks for listening. And, and. please, uh, you know, review. Even just figure out, like, what your you know, I don't know, grab bag should be when you're in an, an emergency situation. Hey, that's good. You know, um, if you live in a, live in a flood prone area, check out your flood zone. Um, yeah. So get, get to know, even, the simplest thing you can do is just even subscribe to one emergency notification. Maybe not 15 like when, but you know, just like at least one. So yeah. So anyway. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Okay, so we're going to talk about today's public health fact. A typical image one conjures when we talk about tuberculosis is one of photos from crowded hospital wards during World War I. However, it still claims lives of over a million and a half people per year. In fact, the World Health Organization estimates that over a third of the world's population, roughly 2 billion people, that's a B billion, are infected with the bacteria that causes TB. Thanks for listening to Viral. Today's show was written and produced by Lindsey Grove and Quinn Lundquist. Our theme is Take Your Medicine by the Quick and Easy Boys. If you like today's show, please leave us a review on iTunes and uh, follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. And as always, please remember to wash your hands. <clears throat> I'm recording. <laughs>